Hi, I'm Amber Harper, host of the Burned In Teacher Podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the podcast you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Be sure to check out our other podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and my special guest today is Don Wetrick, a teacher, author, podcaster, international speaker, and one of the nation's leading voices on school innovation and student-led entrepreneurship. Don is the innovation coordinator at Noblesville High School in Indiana and the author of Pure Genius, Building a Culture of Innovation and Taking 20% Time to the Next Level. He's also the founder of Start Ed Up, a global network that empowers students and teachers to actively change education through innovation and entrepreneurship in the classroom. As the host of the popular Start Ed Up podcast, Don has brought in some big-name guests to network with students as people like Seth Godin, Tim Ferriss, and Gary Vaynerchuk have all made a connection through the Innovation Classroom at Noblesville High School. Be sure to connect with Don on Twitter at Don Wetrick and learn more about the Start Ed Up organization at startedupinnovation.com. It's a great resource for learning how to create a culture of innovation throughout your school district. If you've always thought about starting Genius Hour in your school, or maybe you wanna launch your very own innovation class at the middle school or high school level, then this episode is for you. Without question, this was one of my favorite episodes as I could talk with Don Wetrick all day about his innovative classroom model and how he is reimagining how we can prepare students for the future. This was a fun one, folks, and I hope you enjoy. So turn up the volume, kick back and relax, and enjoy this special conversation with my guest, Don Wetrick. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. Have another great show for you today. And folks, if you have an interest in learning how to create a culture of innovation in your school, then this one's for you as I bring in my special guest, Don Wetrick. How are you, Don? I am super and excited to be here. Well, thanks so much for being here. Um, I'm a big fan of your work. And uh, you were there in Noblesville, Indiana, and have done some great things. Uh, Don is the author of a fantastic book. The name of the book is Pure Genius, Building a Culture of Innovation and Taking 20% Time to the Next Level. Uh, That came out in 2014. Certainly want to talk a little bit about Genius Hour and 20% Time uh, Mm -hmm. throughout our conversation. But let's just kind of begin with this idea of creating innovation in the classroom and i've heard you say on numerous occasions that uh if you're going to create that uh, innovative mindset you want kids to fail fast fail early and fail often yeah and by fail early third grade i'm a big fan of starting this this whole genius hour 20 percent time passion time whatever you want to call it 
Um, I think it, I think it's great in third grade. And that is to say the reason why I think third is because like kindergarten is supposed to be creative. Kindergarten is supposed to be you try different things. Um, now, I've heard horror stories from some schools that they're already starting test prep in first grade. But I'm just going to give first and second grade a, a, a free pass and say, I'm hopefully they'll have that unbridled time. Now, in darn near all states, the state standardized testing starts in third grade. And that is exactly the time that I would prefer that they start this. One, because it sets a tone for kids. Um, and the tone is you go to school to learn things you have to learn. And you also have time to work on things that you want to learn, things that you are intellectually curious about. And, and you can squeeze this in. And, and, and so if they start getting this, this whole school is a place where I go to, to want to learn as well by third grade, then it bubbles up and, and doing innovative things is then a lot easier later on in middle school and high school. And you know, Don, as connected educators, I'm guilty of this myself, but I always find myself talking to like-minded people like yourself. Sometimes I forget that sometimes I'm in that bubble where I'm talking to people that uh, you know, exact, know exactly what Genius Hour is all about, but there are a lot mm -hmm. of teachers out there that really aren't familiar with it. And, and I'll, I'll let you kind of explain it better than I will, but you know, that comes from the Google concept of you have a job description, you do what you're supposed to do most of the time, but mm -hmm. that 20% of the time you get to work on a passion project, something mm -hmm. that you can take more ownership in. And a lot of great ideas from Google, like Gmail and those type of things came from that 20% uh, right. time. So for people out there unfamiliar with Genius Hour, uh, my first thought is, why does it only have to be 60 minutes? And then my yeah. second thought is, it still amazes me that we have to talk with people, uh, educators on a regular basis, about trying to be more innovative and creative in the classroom. Well, I'll go over both these things. One, um, the reason why we started is we watched a, a Daniel Pink TED Talk on what motivates people. It's master autonomy and purpose. So when I watched that, I'm like, wait, his whole thing was, is that people work for money kind of, but what they really, really work hard for is the pursuit of mastery, autonomy and purpose. And so I was like, why don't we do this in schools? And you're right. I mean, we should be doing more of this in, in schools. And, and here's answering your second reason. The answer is why is because this is where the, like, this is where we're heading. So when, you know, the, my, my favorite thing to ask teachers when I, I go and I'll do workshops or guest lectures, I'm like, what is the point of this building? Why are you here? And the most cliche and correct answer is, oh, to prepare kids for the future. Awesome. What does the future look like? What are you doing that's futuristic here? Or my, my least favorite thing is I'll, you go to these conferences and somebody will inevitably have a slide of like, Two-thirds of the jobs that your students will have haven't been invented yet. Okay, who the hell is going to come up with those jobs? A kid that's sitting down and memorizing stuff? Is that it? Because it's not. The innovators are the ones that are pushing things out there. And what they're pushing is usually the exact opposite of school culture. They do take risks. They are wanting to make mistakes so they know how to do it the right first time. There is no making mistakes and getting a bad grade in school. That means you can't get into that famous college. So our culture of what we have in school is exactly the opposite of the culture that we normally pursue in a genius hour or 20% time environment. And the really cool thing about what you've done in your school district there in Indiana at Noblesville is you've created this innovations class, obviously a, a different mindset 
Uh, and, you know, you want kids to be able to market themselves right now. It's not about waiting until they're 25 years old to figure out how to network and get a job. But you have kids that have filed patents, that have built apps, that are even running a side consulting business off YouTube channels. So, I mean, the sky's really been the limit for, I'm sure, I know you have some great kids there in your school, but you've also had to create a culture of yes. Well, and I'm going to give myself and my class a backhanded compliment. There's also nothing special about central Indiana. And that is to say this can be done anywhere. You don't have to be in Palo Alto or in San Francisco or in New York City to be innovative. You can be innovative in North Dakota. So, and, and, and actually, actually, it's normally an advantage. If you're not in one of those cities and people are dumbfounded and astounded that like, wait, you're doing great things from central Kentucky? Whoa. Because like there's this, uns, there's this like bias towards, well, it, it must have come from Apple or Google. Well, it's not. A lot of the innovation out there is in different parts of the world. And so, yeah, we, we built a culture of one, I, I showed my students what's out there. I wanted to show my students what innovation looks like at different places. But then that, you know, who we follow and who we admire is also a big part of that. Like my students, most of my students don't care or they won't be able to tell you what Cardi B said this week, but they will tell you like what Tim Ferriss is doing. They will tell you, you know, what trend Gary Vaynerchuk is following. And, and I think that's a part of the culture too. And, you know, we, we call it seekers and peekers, not moaners and groaners. That's our big battle cry. Moaners and groaners, like right now, just log on Twitter and you're going to find a bunch of moaners and groaners. Oh, the economy sucks. I don't like your politician, no matter what, you know, what brand you are. I don't like the world. Everything's terrible. Everything is what. I, and so those are moaners and groaners. They're not doing a damn thing about it. They're complaining, though. Seekers and peekers are the exact opposite. They listen to your moaning and groaning and they go, okay, there's got to be a solution somewhere. And they always know, like, and, and it's not necessarily about wealth. It's also about, you know, you wanting to, to make the world a better place. But the world's wealthiest people solve small problems. That's it. And so those are opportunity seekers. They're listening to you complain and go, okay, I'm going to seek out some opportunities. The peekers, those are the, those are the real game changers. The peekers are taking a peek around the corner and seeing what's next. Spotting trends looking at analysis to where like, okay, if this plus this equals that, this will be popular next year. Those peakers, man, and those peakers only come about when you have a culture. Because when you start comparing notes, you start having conversations about what the future might entail. You can't do that by yourself. So when you build that tribe, when you build that group of people that really are passionate about looking at what's next, that's how you create the peakers. And, you know, I think we talk a lot about technology and the technology tool being uh, a big piece of this innovation. And I guess it is. But mm-hmm. I, also, I also love the fact that you really talk about networking and entrepreneurship. And, you know, there was a time when I was telling middle school students that they need to rush out and go to GoDaddy.com or whatever, wherever they could go to buy their own domain name. So yep. you could buy greggoins.com and you could start branding yourself and build a, an online presence because that's important in a world of networking. Now, I don't know if I believe that people are, gonna, are rushing out looking at these, these static websites uh, as much as maybe they did five or ten years ago, but I love the fact that you talk about LinkedIn. You talk yeah. about YouTube. You talk about, hey, let's start your own podcast. There are other ways uh, through social media, 
and, and through uh, different avenues of technology to kind of build that brand. And it's such a huge comparative advantage. I mean, like how many 16 year olds are on LinkedIn? And, and by the way, especially on LinkedIn, the, the community itself is more professional and they're not complaining about the Super Bowl or, you know, the halftime show or whatever. They're, they're, con- they're concerned about getting ahead and, and being helpful oftentimes. So, yeah, I mean, if, if you're 15 and you have your own podcast, you're just ahead of everybody. And, and even students understanding their own digital branding. You know, in school, we call digital citizenship a list of things that you can't do. I want to provide a list of things that you are able to do and stand out. And so, you know, them having their own YouTube channel or their own Twitch channel or them taking LinkedIn seriously. These are all things that we go over in our innovation and open source learning class because, you know, if, again, it's my job to prepare them for the future. Well, there's a big future in this and I want my students to be at the front of the line. I've also heard you talk, uh, obviously, a lot about Genius Hour, and I'm passionate about that as well. But as students get older and they move through junior high and into high school uh, and beyond, I've heard you talk more about going to open source learning. Can you kind of describe the, the transition sure. from Genius Hour to open source? Yeah, I mean, so here's the battle cry I get. So Genius Hour is really accepted and has burned a pathway through the elementary school. But then by the time they get to middle school, here's the number one thing I hear from middle school teachers. I don't have time for this. And the thing is, like, I understand that. Like, I taught, like, I'm still a teacher, but for 10 of those years of my 21, I was a middle school teacher. And nobody gets them, like, they've got it from all ends. They have standardized testing everywhere. Like, it's the, it's seriously, it's probably the toughest area to be in, in my humble opinion. And so they're like, I, I don't have time for this. Well, the thing that I, that I love is that most middle schools are teamed. So for the person that's saying, I don't have time for this cute little genius hour, do you have one day a month? If that, because if you're a science teacher, the science, you know, this week, science will have genius hour next week, math, the week after that language arts language, you know, the one after that is, you know, specials, you, you could have, you could spread this out between four or five weeks. And what I love is, is that art teacher that is like, not as passionate about this kid's project that you are like it brings the teams together so you know a kid writing a like wanting to collate and and do a a poetry book the art teacher and english teacher will be like oh i'm gonna help you with layout and design and the english teacher is gonna help you with the poetry and then meanwhile some kid wants to to do an app and the science teacher and math teacher are all giddy about it 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 can be done as a genius hour really well at middle school that being said i do not like genius hour at the high school level because now you should open source your learning and it needs more than 45 minutes once a week. It deserves its own class. And that's why our class is called innovation and open source learning. And so when one of my kids is like, Hey, I want to learn how to code this app in, you know, uh, Python. And I'm like, I don't do Python, but I do know people that do. And so we open source it. The students, the students learn from me in about the first six to seven weeks of class. That's the innovation part. The open source learning is just that. We open source our learning. So if a kid goes, I want to learn how to do, how to throw events like mini marathons. Awesome. I've never done that. Let's go out and network and see who's run them. And then they learn from them. And I think that that's an important thing. Because just because the, like, the school building is important, but the amount of people that you can collaborate with are unlimited now. So don't, you know, don't put all the pressure on the teacher teaching everything in, in this type of environment. 
there's many things that I don't know. And, and I'm happy to find out people to collaborate. And, and last point, uh, we say all the time, sometimes begrudgingly, well, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Okay, know people. Like, how hard is it? it <clears throat> people in education know everybody. It's the reason why a lot of times, you know, we go into real estate or insurance because we know everybody in town. Heck, if you've taught 30 years, you know, what, <laughs> 15,000 families? So, like, putting that to use is that, so if our students need an introduction, teachers are celebrities in their own town. They know, they know a guy. And, and I think that we should open source our learning in that way. And you've had great success bringing in some of the top business minds and entrepreneurs really in the world to, you know, you Skype them in or Zoom them in and they talk with your class. Uh, I mean, some of the leaders, um, you know, Seth Godin comes to mind is, uh, is someone that you've had in. But you've really created this global network of connected educators, innovators, and entrepreneurs through your uh, Started Up um, organization. And just talk about that a little bit and the value in talking to any business leader in your community, whether bringing them in yeah. on site or bringing them in virtually to talk about, uh, you know, how can we get this done? Because this is right now, this is not, we're not talking to kids about what might happen 10 years from now. Kids can do things today. Absolutely. Well, I, so I'll, I'll back up one step. When, so when people are like, oh, well, you get to talk to Tim Ferriss. Why well, can't do that? Because I don't have a big Twitter following. Know that I started with one. I just opened, like, I, I was very transparent. And the, and the people, our community that we seem to hit a heartstring on were the entrepreneurial community. But there are thousands of examples of like, hey, let's Skype Shaquille O'Neal today. You can now get a hold of people a lot easier. And quite frankly, if you have students, that's cool. And, and let's just be honest with each other. People of status find it helpful to Skype a kid because that looks good. And I'm not trying to say that they don't have, you know, other ulterior motives, but just at a surface level, there's nothing wrong with reaching out to people because they want to help or they wish they had that when they were a kid. Secondly, yeah, I mean, this is what we do with the Started Up Foundation. And, and what we've done is, you know, we've reached out and got to work with a lot of top entrepreneurs and authors. And mostly because they had very similar opinions on education. And they look at this class and go, where was that when I was a kid? We took a field trip out to Palo Alto with uh, some kids a couple years back. And that was the number one. We, we almost had a pool on how many times we'd hear that. You know, we, we went to Facebook headquarters and, and Stanford and Google. And we just, time after time, people were like, where was this class when I was 17? The things I would have done. Um, and that's, that's what we try to do. So, it, it, you know, if your student, like if, if you're at a school that they'll never allow an innovation class, well, we have resources now. And ironically enough, I don't know if you know Gary Vaynerchuk, but he was the one that like kind of put it to me. He's like, Don, the amount of schools that will never offer what you do are the vast, vast, vast majority. What are you going to do to get through to them? And that's kind of why we started the, you know, startedupinnovation.com is kind of a place where some schools that want to change also homeschool networks. But then our foundation is growing um, rapidly. We are actually do things in person. So we have events all over. And we're going to be spreading to about another seven cities here in 2019. My guest today is Don Wetrick. You can find him on Twitter at Don Wetrick. Also, their website at StartedUpInnovation.com. And uh, they'll walk you through how to start your own innovation class or talk about entrepreneurship 
or how to bring people into your classroom to talk about um, really all the elements of being successful in uh, in the 21st century world. And I heard you in a previous interview, and, and I hope I get this right, but I, I just found it completely fascinating. You were talking about how the job market continues to change, and obviously technology is a huge part of that, but we're, we're moving to more of a freelance style. And, and the example you gave was, you think about all the restaurants that are in a large city, uh, whether it be Chicago, New York, uh, Washington, D.C., and think about the number of employees they have on any given night. You have dishwashers, you have bartenders, you have wait staff, and it goes on and on and on. Just like a substitute teacher, there are going to be a lot of nights that the, uh, the restaurant manager is going to have to find a replacement. Someone calls in sick. And you were talking about an app where uh, after an onboarding process, you know, if you need to, a fill-in bartender on Friday night, you can actually go to the app just like you would getting a Lyft. Uh, if you've taken Lyft or Uber, you know what that app looks like. And you can actually find people that will come in and grab an apron and work. And that's just amazing to me that, um, you know, we continue to think outside the box. And that's a term I, I hate to use, but in this case, I think it's um, reflective of how technology is changing the world. Yeah, it's actually a, a is there an Indianapolis company there? They're called Snapshift. And um, you're right, like they they have kind of like the Uberization of, of a lot of things, you know, if, if you want to go out there and make some, you can. And what what really is important in all this is that um, the mindset of I'm going to go out there and get mine is the mindset of the entrepreneur or entrepreneur or freelancer. The student that thinks that somehow my government's going to save me, a corporation's going to save me, like cats out of the bag. Corporations are hiring less and the world's vastly moving towards freelance. Well, freelance is the, again, that's the exact opposite of the culture of sit and wait. And sit and wait is what our students are used to. And, and by the way, I'm not blaming them for them. That's, that's, that's the conditions we've raised them in. So we now need a pretty hurry up offense on, okay, you know, we're in a skills-based economy. You know, I have a paper degree that says I'm good at something. Okay, show it. No one cares about your degree anymore. They care about the skills you have. And when people have skills, then you have customers. <laughs> Simple as that. And, and even in the medical fields and things of this, like, yeah, your degree definitely counts in that. But they're looking, though, for skills. And that mentality of I'm going to go out and find my opportunities, again, seekers and peekers, is everything. The I got an A, so everything's going to be fine. People are going to hunt me down. That doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, I'm envious to the fact that you, I'm sure you get to work with some amazing um, kids every single day. And I'm curious as to what kind of conversations you have with them on a regular basis. What kind of feedback do they give you? What are they thinking <laughs> about? I, I'm sure a lot of them are not thinking about, you know, going into huge student loan debt and paying $40,000 a year to go to try to get the, the next degree at the local university. Are they thinking, is the mindset more about, um, you know, entering the workforce, maybe with a technology skill, uh, are trying to find their own way? Or what is the mindset of today's typical 17-year-old in your class? Well, I mean, the, but some are. Like, look, I'm not batting a 1,000. 
Um, I'm doing better than Ted Williams, but um, I'm not batting a thousand. I still have some kids that are like, hey, I'm going to get an A and everything and everything is going to work out. And in some cases it will. Again, like medical, engineering, there's some things that you're just, that traditional path is going to be here for a while. Um, I, I would definitely say I have more of a hard time convincing parents because they're like, hey, I graduated in 1995 with a general, edu- you know, just like a general diploma and things worked out for me. Absolutely, because in 1996, the job market was vastly different. Convincing parents that just going to college with, for the sake of going to college in some major that didn't matter, again, the date is out. That's a money pit. <laughs> so I have a lot of conversations with my students. In some cases, they get it. They're out there acquiring skills. I mean, just skills. They're using me for contacts and information. They're using me for equipment, and that's the way it should be. But I still have some, you know, I still have some traditionalists. And, and I, you know, I need to make sure that I get an A. I'm going to load up my schedule with an AP um, weighted scale so I can get into that famous college. And then, um, you know, hopefully things will work out. Now, I, <laughs> I'll try to counsel them. I'm not going to let them, I'm not going to tell them how to live their life. But I will say this. I have gently shepherded some people to some information on, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, hmm, I'm not going to dissuade anybody from certain majors, but let's just, let's just agree with this. If a student came up to you and said, hey, I'm going to go to college to be a, a cashier at a grocery store, which by the way, there's not a degree for that, but I'm just using this example. Like we've all seen cashiers at the grocery store go away. They're almost all gone. If you do, if you do a little research or, or better yet, like I want to go into, I'm going to be a long haul trucker we know how that's going to end. Like the data's out and the, the driverless technology is not going to just stop. And the automation of the grocery store isn't just going to stop. So there's a lot of information out there on certain things, on certain careers that are going to go away. And it's not an if, it's a win. And for some of these things, it's a five-year window. So there's been a couple of kids like, I'm going to go into this and I'm like, okay, read this article, this article, this article and find out who Ray Kurzweil is. And because I, I don't want them to wake up from five, you know, going to school for the next four years and racking up $120,000 of debt, all to find out that their job has been completely automated and is, and is an AI program now. Yeah, and I agree. And as someone that works in higher education, obviously I value um, you know, the higher education experience. And I think there's great value in whatever degree it is you want to pursue. But I also think you have to use some common sense in what field you want to go into if you're hoping to seek gainful employment, especially initially. And, and I think the, uh, the college debt thing is something that is, is a bigger conversation than I can probably um, talk my way through right now. But it's obviously a concern. It is. And it's also, you know, I look, I'm the, I'm the son of a, a school teacher and a stay at home mom. So you know what our finances were. And yet we, we did just fine because we knew, well, we, we understood, we, we understood money and, and compounding interest and things of this nature. Certain majors at certain private universities are so out of whack that I'm like, okay, just do the math. It's not free money. People are like, well, I I got all these low interest grants. They're low interest, meaning that you have to pay them back. So 
I'm always wanting to pump the brakes on you know, like having our students definitely take a look at where they're going and what they're studying. And I mean, again, like if they're passionate about, you know, wanting to go to, you know, truck driver you, and they think that that's going to be around forever and I may be wrong, then if that's really your passion, go for it. So I agree with you. And, and I love the college experience. It's where I grew up. It's where you get to play pretend that you're an adult and you're not really. <laughs> so, you know, I loved those times. I, I learned about myself. I, probably my favorite class I ever took, I was forced to take. So that experience is wonderful. But when it starts getting in that, you know, well, we're $80,000 a year. Ah, that's, uh, that's something I'm deeply concerned about. And, and you know, I also think back to, uh, you know, over a period of time, society has really put people into two categories. You're either a blue collar worker or a white collar worker, whether right, wrong, or indifferent. But I had a chance to talk to uh, young Zhao uh, right toward the end of the year in 2018. And he was talking about the fact that now there's a third category he calls the black collar worker, which would represent Steve Jobs and his black turtleneck. And, and the black collar worker is that person that wants to pave their own way with that entrepreneurial spirit and maybe use uh, tech tools to kind of carve out their own path. Uh, is that something that excites you or something that you've thought about uh, as, as you work with young people? Well, I mean, the black collar worker is also the freelancer. I mean, a freelancer is an entrepreneur. They answer to themselves. Their business is them providing services to other companies. They're B2B. And so, like, literally, that's according to Forbes and a couple other sources, half, half the nation's jobs by next year will be freelance. And so that get up and go entrepreneurial attitude. And, and by the way, it's unsustainable and unrealistic to think that everybody's going to be their own startup. Like it's just not going to work that way. But you being your own boss, that's becoming a reality faster and faster. So, you know, that black collar worker is absolutely usually normally a person that has tech tools because tech tools means it's scalable and it's in demand. Well, you being a babysitter isn't scalable. You can only watch up to like five kids probably legally. <laughs> um, but the, the, the person that can design things and then, you know, scale it out. Yeah. Those are, those are the, the, the tech, normally the tech people that, that are in the traditional, you know, black turtleneck vest, <laughs> the Silicon Valley uniform. Yeah. And, and you know, I've said this several times on my podcast and I, I'll get your take on it. But if you ask 10 different people to define innovation, you'll get 10 different answers. Whenever you talk with your students about innovation, how do you define it? I'm going to totally rip this off from Tina Selig, but I'm, giving, I'm citing my sources ahead of time. Um, Tina is one of my uh, muses, one of my just, she's an awesome person. She kind of broke down the four quadrants, and that is to say there's imagination, creativity, innovation, and entrepreneurship. Everybody has an imagination. It's a thought. You getting it on paper or in the world is creativity. Innovation is creativity in a way that hasn't been done, or at least to you. Innovation is something that is usually needed. And by the way, if it's something innovative, then it usually should be entrepreneurial because you might as well take it to market. My fear is, so, so kind of my answer is, you know, things that are creative in a new way. Now, my fear is, is that it's become such an, a cliche buzzword is that everything's innovative. 
I mean, like you talked about my book, I was mortified right before I put out my book. I was already, I was already afraid to use the word innovation in the title anyway, because right after I released it, there was a, there was a commercial, I think for Cottonelle. They, it is like the new innovative layer of softness. I'm like, oh, great. Something you wipe your ass with is now innovative. Then there's car commercials and there's restaurant commercials. Everything's innovative. So it can be lost in the shuffle for sure. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think it's, um, yeah, it, it's something creative done in a unique way. It's, it's, it's a new angle on something. It can be a product service uh, event, um, but it, it, it has to be something fresh and uh, not done before. And, you know, to kind of build on this um, idea that a lot of people are hearing about Genius Hour for the first time, um, one thing I like to talk about is uh, the FedEx concept. And, you know, the FedEx slogan is when you absolutely positively, uh, when it absolutely positively has to be there overnight. And I, I actually did this as a school superintendent. You gather people around, uh, you know, and you know how people hate the organized PD day, especially when the superintendent or the principal is the one organizing it. But you, you actually get people together and, you, and it's kind of a 20% time concept, but they have to come up with something creative in a short period of time. And I don't know if that's a good way to kind of spark uh, debate and curiosity, but I think it could be a pathway to bigger things on that genius hour front. Have you had any experience with the FedEx concept? Yeah. I mean, those are like hackathons and things of that nature. I, I you know, you build a constraint of, you know, get this done. Now. I, I, ironically enough, I was talking to you earlier about the started up foundation. We have these once a month where we have um, these great events to where normally what we do is we have a nonprofit come in and be our guest. We're averaging anywhere between 30 to 70, depending on how good the weather is, students uh, at an event. And essentially what they do is, is that they hear from our nonprofit and the nonprofit kind of shares what their ideas or, or, or what their, I'm sorry, what their um, service is. And um, like one time it was like a homeless shelter for pregnant teens. And anyway, they're like, here's what we do. Here's what we provide. Here's how we get funding. And then they said, here's our big problem. And that problem could either be marketing or awareness or logistics or whatever. But I then set a timer. I'm like, okay, you have 35 minutes to go get in a small group and come up with a three minute pitch. And that's kind of a FedEx day, except it's whittled down to 35 minutes. And the thing is like 35 minutes is enough time, especially if it's an identifiable problem, giving them on all day, they'd probably come up with the exact same thing is if I give them 35 minutes. So I love them to give them tight challenges, like, like a half an hour go. And, um, cause also you can, you can do that at the, uh, at the school level too, you know, give your, give your kids a design challenge and say, you have five minutes to come up with a, you know, a, a better use for my pencil holder other than to hold pencils go. <laughs> They're going to come up with all sorts of things. Well, once again, Don, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, you're just doing some incredible things there. And again, folks, connect with Don on Twitter at Don Wetrick and uh, check out the website, startedupinnovation.com. And I, as we wrap things up, I want to leave you or allow you to provide a just a very brief closing thought. What is it you're excited about as a teacher and as a director of innovation uh, as we're in um, you know, late winter, getting ready for spring of 2019? Yeah, first of all, um, you're right. I, I follow me. Um, I'm, I'm probably a little bit more active on LinkedIn these days. You can also follow me on LinkedIn. Um, what I'm most geeked up about is the fact that there's never been a better time to live than right now. And yet at the same time, there's also the record amount of anxiety and depression. 
And the difference between those two camps are, what are you doing? The people that are sitting passively wishing they could do something, they go through their Instagram feed and then they feel even worse. Then they go and see somebody else has better abs than they do. And they're, they're, in, my, like they're in Miami and, they're, and you're not. And then we get depressed and we compare ourselves. And yet the people that are out there doing, they're happier. So <clears throat> with all these digital tools we have for our students, there is no better time to be a creator. Anybody can be a consumer. But I highly recommend that you make your students creators. That's kind of where that whole entrepreneurial spirit starts. You're putting something out to the world, not just watching it. So encourage them to be creators. Well, it's been an awesome conversation. I could talk all day about what you're doing in your innovations class. And again, folks, if you want to learn how to create a culture of innovation in your classroom, you want to connect with Don Wetrick. He's doing some amazing things and has been doing those things for quite some time. So with that, folks, thanks for listening as always. And remember, folks, always do what you can in your school and community to create better schools for kids. Thank you for listening to the Reimagined Schools podcast with Dr. Greg Goins. Be sure to continue the conversation on social media with the Reimagined Schools hashtag and subscribe to the podcast at reimaginedschools.net. You can also help support this podcast by clicking on the listener support link and making a small monthly contribution. Contact Dr. Greg Goins today to invite him to speak or present at your next education conference or professional development day. Please send inquiries to drgreggoins at gmail.com or on Twitter at drgreggoins.